You know, we're living in the information age. Um, at our fingertips, we can find out what's going on in any part of the world, right, at any time, through uh, internet, computers, cell phones, iPads, satellites. I, I mean, it's amazing just how much information that we can get about anything at any moment. I, I believe the problem is we've got too much information about too many things, and often it just clutters our mind and gets our focus off of that which is really, really important. For about three or four days this week, I just... Uh, let my mind wonder. You say that's nothing new, but I, mean, I just let my mind wonder. I just let it, and, and, I'd, say, and I'd think about something. I said, well, I, I'm going to look up it. And so I, I've learned how to use uh, the internet a little bit, so I would Google. You know, you can Google. And I, so I decided to Google ISIS. By the way, Jerry Carl, our commissioner, said don't call them ISIS. That recognized them as the Islamic State. Call them de-ISIS, which means they're nothing. No, really, that's what it, it's an insult to them. So I, I, I Googled de-ISIS, and I found out what had happened with them in the last three hours. I said, man, that's, that's up-to-date news. Then, then I got to thinking about persecuted Christians. So I Googled persecuted Christians and found out that there are 50 countries under heavy Christian, where the Christians are under heavy persecution, and in 40 of those countries, it's Muslim extremists, that are persecuting the Christians. So I, I found out about what was happening on persecution of Christians. And then I knew a uh, prime minister from Israel was going to be speaking before Congress. And I said, praise God, on Tuesday. So I, I Googled that and found out when he was speaking. And, all. and you know, I said, man, it's so easy. You, you, you just get information. It's just at your fingertips. But let, let me say this. Uh, what we need to do is we need to focus on what's important. We don't need to get our minds so clattered, scattered, so preoccupied, so spread out that we cannot focus on what's important to God and what ought to be important to us. You know, um, as I was thinking about all that's going on in the world, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, you don't have to look on the internet to find out what's going on in the world. I said, really? He said, oh, you, you don't need to go to any source of them. He said, let me tell you something. You want to know what's going on in the world? Just read the Bible. Did you know what is happening in America and what is happening in the world is clearly outlined in this book? I mean, it's just like it was printed, it came off the newspaper press this morning. And so I just got to read, and I said, well, man, if I want to know what's going on in the world, I'll just uh, go to the Word of God. Well, I went to 2 Timothy, chapter 3. And, and, and I said, well, let me find out what's going on in the world. And so I began reading in verse 1. Listen to this. This know that in the last days... Perilous 
distressing, disturbing times will come. Then he began to describe the last days. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brooders, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, heady, haughty, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness and denying the power thereof. I said, Lord, that pretty much describes the day in which we live in. Then my thoughts turn not from 2 Timothy over to 1 John where it talks about the Antichrist and how the Antichrist is going to rise. And over in 1 John chapter 2, in verse 18, now you know what the Antichrist is. They deny that Jesus is the Messiah. And if you deny Jesus is the Messiah, you deny God the Father. You can't have one without the other. And the Antichrist spirit is a Muslim spirit where Allah is God and Jesus, quote, was a prophet. But, but, but they're Antichrist. And they hate infidels. That's Christians. And the Jews. Well, you know, I mean, I don't have to read the news to know the Antichrist spirit is all over the world. Listen to 1 John 2.18. Little children, it is the last hour. And you have heard that Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. And by which you know that it is the last days. Verse 22 of John 2, 1 John 2. Who is the liar? But he that denies Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist that denies the Father and the Son. So, listen, I, I don't have to go to the Internet. I don't even have to listen to the 10 o'clock news. I don't even have to read the news. Let me tell you something. If you want to know what's going in this, on in this world right now, read the Word of God. The Word of God is absolutely clear. Hey, I, I mean, you really want to know what's going on in the world? Well, I said, well, you know, it was said pretty plainly by the Apostle Paul in the first chapter of the book of Romans. And, and you know, it, it's amazing how Paul said, now let me tell you what's going to happen uh, in uh, Mobile, Alabama on March the 1st, 2015. Let me tell you what it's going to be like. And, and he begins to say here, in verse 16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And then he goes on and says in verse 18, and he describes today. He describes today. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and of men and, and that suppress the truth uh, in unrighteousness. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, where they're without excuse. He said, look at the world you're living in, and you see God, his power, and his attributes. But look at verse 21. Because although they knew God, and they, they were not thankful, but came futile in their imaginations and thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now listen to the day in which we live. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Changed the glory of God, uh, of, of the incorruptible God, into an image made like corruptible man. 
and birds and beasts, four-footed animals and creeping things. You know, it says they changed the image of God into that like corruptible man. It's called humanism. But let me move on. Well, what about it when they knew that God was there and they knew God saw God in, in the universe? They saw God in the wonderful creation. But they didn't, they didn't want, they suppressed the righteousness and, and, and exalted unrighteousness. What happens to them? Verse 24. This is just like reading the paper. Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature, humanism, rather than the creator, blessed forever. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For men and women exchanged the natural use for that which is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving uh, the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one for another. Men with men, committing what is shameful, and in receiving in themselves the penalty and error that was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. To do those things that are not fitting. Now, you want to know what's going on in, uh, in Mobile today and in the world? It says here, being filled with all unrighteousness, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil, evil-mindedness. They are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Now listen to this. Who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such saying deserve death, not only do the same, but approve of those that do it. You know, I don't have to go on the internet, find out what's going on in the world. I'll just read 2 Timothy 3. I'll just go read in John about the Antichrist. Then I'll go read the first chapter of Romans. I said, you know, Lord, you told me exactly what was going to be happening in America on March the 1st, 2015. You know all world events are doing is confirming that this is the Word of God. Did you know that? Every day we see God saying, this is my Word. It will forever change. It will never change. One precept will not pass away. Everything I said that was going to happen has happened. Everything I say is going to happen is going to happen. Let me tell you something. It is a foolish person who ignores the word of the living God. It is a foolish person who does not plan and guide his life according to God's eternal truth. As I was pondering, the two things that I feel are on the heart of God the most and that therefore became a part of, of what's on my heart. I started thinking about the family. And I said, well, you know, I'm going to address God's plan for the family. But then I said, you know, the main thing that's on the heart of God and ought to be on our heart is God's plan for the church. Because all of it, the answer is found in the church of the living God. A revived church, a powerful church, a holy church, a church moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we see God's plan for the family, but then, then it's not going to really happen and things aren't going to really change until the church 
becomes the church that God said it is to be, not only in early days, but in the last days. Well, today let's just look at the Bible and talk about God's plan for the family. I'll tell you a good place to start. A good place to start is in Matthew chapter 19 and and verse 3. Here Jesus is talking about the family. And uh, I'm going to say something in a moment about how Jesus speaks through Paul. But I just want you to look at what Jesus had to say about the family. All right? In in verse uh, 4 of Matthew 19, Jesus spoke about marriage. All right, so let's see what he said. And, and, and this is God's plan for the family. It says in verse 4, And he answered, Matthew 19, 4, And he answered and said, uh, He that made, he answered and said, He that made the, though them in the beginning made them male and female. Uh, I, you don't think it would be a good idea if I put my glasses on? I was going to try to read without them, but I ain't got a clue. Here we go. Well, I can see so much. Wow, that's better. In verse 4, now Jesus is addressing the family, okay? And he starts out with marriage. And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that that he who made them in the beginning made them male and female? Well, isn't that interesting? He said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. This is Jesus addressing marriage and the family. So then they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. And so Jesus addressed marriage and made it absolutely clear that he defined marriage. And all he was doing was going back to what God had said in the beginning. And so I think about Genesis. So Jesus goes back to the beginning. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, listen to what he said. And God said, let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that createth, that creeps on the earth. So get this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Then over in chapter 2 of Genesis, and Jesus was quoting that, in verse 18, it says, And God said, It is not good that a man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. And so he made all the animals and everything, but... Then he finally got down and he said, okay. And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. He slept. He took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of a man. And then then then. God said in Genesis, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. Well, now that's part of the family. To have a family, you've got to have a father and a mother so you can have children. 
Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So Jesus lays out clearly that marriage is between a man and a woman, and that God brought them together, and they become one by the power and the grace of God. But then, let let me say something about marriage now. It's taken very lightly today. Very, very lightly. It used to be that most people were married by the time they were 20 or 21 years of age. People got married around 20 or 21. Uh, I was almost, uh, I just, well, I was uh, 18 and a half when I got married, so I broke the curve. I mean, so, you know, and my wife would be 17 in two months. But don't tell anybody I told you that because I don't recommend that. But you know what the average age now is when people get married? About 24 or 25. You know why? They don't get married anymore. They just move in together. Just live together. Oh, yeah. My wife and I have a hobby. It's called eating out. 90% of the waiters and waitresses that wait on us are living with somebody and they're not married. One of them was telling us, man, got a baby due in a month. Well, last time we ate there, they said, he's not here today, but their baby's been born. They're not married. I, I did a wedding for a couple not long ago, and, and I, I, I knew the, the son, and not, handsome guy. He had this very attractive girl with him. I said to the mom and dad, well, that, uh, that's his wife. She said, he, they said, no. I said, what do you mean they living together? How long have they been living together? About eight years. Come on. Not long ago, there had been a death in a family, and I went to visit them. This has been a long time ago. And I was there just visiting with the family, and here was this nice-looking young man, nice-looking young lady, and they had the little baby. And I said, well, hey, this is your son, and I guess this is his wife. No, no, that's his girlfriend. They're living together. Do you realize that uh, that was almost heard of, unheard of 40 years ago when I started in the ministry? Nobody takes marriage seriously. They just move in together. That way they don't have to, if it doesn't work out, they can just fly the coop. It's not till this death do us part. It's not for better or for worse. It's not in sickness and in health. It's not for richer or for poor. It's, hey, let's just move in together. Well, what does God say about that? Now, I mean, we can get down hard on same-sex marriage, and, and I'm against that, but I'm going to tell you something. There needs to be a little outrage that people disregard marriage and just move in together and act like it's no big deal. In any congregation in Mobile today, you'd be amazed how many people there be that are living together and not married. You know, Jerry Vines, he's kind of, He's kind of religious. You know, Jerry, he's my good friend. <laughs> you know, he's kind of straight-laced, you know. <laughs> and uh, he was visiting this couple in Jacksonville, and, and, and uh, he knocked on the door and said, Oh, Dr. Vines, we're so glad you came by to see us. We love your church. We just found out the good news. We're going to have a baby. He said, Wonderful, that's good. So we've decided to get married. Jerry fainted, and they revived him. It blew him away. They, they saw like it was nothing. Hey, let me tell you something. 
The devil hates the family. And he has a full-blown assault on marriage. And we need to stand for what the Word of God says and unashamedly say this is God's plan for marriage and we ought to obey God rather than man. Well, but you know, if, if Jesus had stopped there, but he didn't. You know what he did? <laughs> this gets real sticky. He, had, he addressed divorce. I mean, see, the way he got started on the family was the Pharisees said, is it okay for a man to divorce his wife? And Jesus said it was not so from the beginning. And then in Matthew 19, uh, he picks up this matter uh, 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 of marriage and divorce. And uh, look in verse 7 through 9. And they said to them, why did Moses give them a certificate of divorce to put her away? Oh, by the way, he was putting away a woman. It wasn't a man putting away a man or a woman putting away a woman. He gave her a certificate of divorce to put her away. Then he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. That's not the way it was in the beginning. And then he goes on and says, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced, commits adultery. All right. Now, let's just talk about this matter of, uh, of divorce. Now, by the way, let me tell you what's happening today. And it's happening in, in a lot of churches. They say, this is what they t- say. Well, I tell you what, I love the Gospels. And I love the teachings of Jesus. But I don't like Paul. I don't like him. I don't like the epistles. I just do not like them. And they're trying to say that Jesus had one message and that Paul had another message. I got good news for you. Paul said, that's not true. In fact, let me tell you what he said. He said he got his message not from any man, but for three years, he was alone with Jesus in, 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 in the desert, and everything he got, he got from Jesus. So when Paul speaks, Jesus is speaking through him. You, you, you mean to read it to you? Now, because they're going to try to say, well, Jesus didn't say anything about divorce. Jesus didn't say anything about homosexuality. Jesus, did, hey, that dead wrong. He did. I just read it. But I'm telling you, he said, Paul, now look, there are a lot of things I want you to address because I came to seek and to save that are lost, but I want you to get some guidelines. And so let me just, let me read to you uh, what Paul said about where God is gospel, okay? It's Galatians 1, verse 11. Listen to him. I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. I got my message in, math, in, in Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Romans, I got it, didn't get it from any man. I didn't. I neither, in verse 12 of Galatians 1, I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. He said, everything you read in Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, all those, he said, let me tell you where I got it. No man taught me. After I got struck down on the road to Damascus, I was separated to God for three years And Jesus taught me 
everything I know, and Jesus taught me everything I wrote. He said, I got it from Jesus. I mean, I just read his words. And then he goes on to say in verse 15 of Galatians 1, when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with fresh fresh and blood. I didn't even go up to Jerusalem to who those were apostles before me. I went to Arabia. He said, I got along with Jesus and returned again to Damascus after three years. Then I went up and talked to Peter and the rest of the apostles. Hey, Listen, when you, you can try to uh, make a difference between what Jesus said and Paul said, but you have no case because Paul said, everything I've written, he told me, and I just wrote what he told me to write. Now, okay, you know, this, is a, this thing about divorce is sticky. I remember when I started out in 19, um, Lord have mercy, 58 with my first church, then on things, you know. Um, and, I, and listen, if you're divorced, don't, don't get defensive. I'm going to help you before I get through, okay? Now, I mean that. Don't, don't, just, you just, it's going to help you, okay? But I, I, I had almost no people in the church that were divorced. And really, it just became in, in the 80s, 90s, that divorce very, became very commonplace, and it affects almost every family, almost every family, almost every family. And, and, and so we, we need to know what, what God said about divorce. All right. Now, the Corinthian Christians wrote Paul a letter. And in it, he asked, they asked him some questions basically about sexual immorality and marriage and divorce. And so, let, let me show you where that is. In 1 Corinthians 6, in verse 12 through 20, they wrote him and asked him some questions. And so, Paul's going to answer the questions that, that, that they wrote him concerning uh, uh, marriage and sexual immorality. Now, I'm reading in 1 Corinthians 6, 12, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of anything. Food for the stomach. He said, I'm not going to be brought under the power of eat this, don't eat this, eat that, don't eat that. He said, I'm not going to be brought under the power of food. I'm not under the law when it comes to eating food. Food for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now, but they had written him, because in Corinth, it was a very immoral city. Oh, my Lord. It was very immoral. And so it says, now the body, this is verse 13, is not for sexual immorality. They wrote wrote him about it. They wanted to say, look, I've been living in sexual immorality for years. Now you're telling me as a Christian I can't do that. So he says here, now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. And God raised up the Lord and also raised us up by his power. And he's talking about the body now. He's talking about sexual immorality. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? They were saved people. The Holy Spirit lived in them. Do you not know your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. 
Do you not know who is joined to a heart and is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become flesh, become one flesh. He is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Then he says, they had written him about sexual immorality. Now look what he says in verse 18. This is the word of God. Flee. In case you don't know what that means, it means run, okay? Flee sexual immorality. Flee. Every sin that one commits is outside the body. He who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Then he said to those believers, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have from God, and you're not your own? Then he addressed their body. Therefore, he says, you were bought with a price. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which is Christ. So they wrote him and asked him about this thing of marriage. And, about the, and also, they obviously asked him about divorce. So you know what? He answered it. Now, I want to read you his answer. And it is very, very thorough. In chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, Paul addresses not only marriage, but he addresses uh, 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 divorce and all that stuff. Now, I'm just going to read the Word of God. I know I'm reading a lot of Scripture, but that's not bad, okay? Look at chapter 7, verse 1. Concerning the things which you wrote to me. And then he said this, it made me upset. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. You say, oh my Lord, I knew he was a male chauvinist. I've heard that. No, he was talking about the question they had asked him in chapter 6. They, they were saying it's all right to have sexual immorality. It doesn't matter. And Paul said, let me tell you one thing. If, if that's why you're going to abuse, abuse sex, it's good for you not to touch a woman if you're going to be sexually immoral. That's exactly what he's saying. He was not anti-marriage. All right, he goes on and says, Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Well, that's pretty simple, isn't it? You can't have a harem. You can't have two or three wives. Thank God. And you can't, no, he said you can't do it. You can't have two or three husbands. You say, hallelujah. (laughs) Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and each woman have her own husband. And then they are to be submissive to each other. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due to her. He is to show, she is to show, the husband is to show the affection that his wife is due to her, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband. The husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife. Do not deprive one another. He was talking about intimacy and marriage. Do not deprive one another except for consent for a time that you may give yourselves to prayer and fasting. Come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self control. So he's talking about the responsibility in marriage between a man and a woman. Now, then he goes over here in verse 12 and talks about divorce. So let's look at it. In verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 7, but to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, if a brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, You've got an unbelieving wife. Well, don't divorce her. If a woman has a husband who does not believe and he's willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife and the believing, uh, uh, 
the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children will be unclean. Then he says in verse 15, If the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. But how do you know, a wife, whether you would save your husband? Or a husband, how would you would save your wife? So Paul addressed this marriage, this uh, uh, thing about marriage and, and, and uh, about divorce. And, uh, and, and so we need to understand. I, I'm going to tell you, I'm just going to stop here. And I, I'm just going to, I jotted down some things about divorce. Because I think about it all the time and deal with people who are struggling with it those who have been divorced. All right. First of all, I'm about six or seven things I just wrote down. Number one, if you were married and divorced before you were saved, when you got saved, your slate was wiped clean, and as far as God was concerned, that that marriage did not exist. Jesus does not forgive every sin but divorce. The blood of Jesus takes care of all sin. And so if you were married and divorced before you were saved, hey, just as God forgave you of lying and stealing and being bitter and angry, he, he forgave you of, of uh, that. So if you're married and divorced before you were saved, it's under the blood of Jesus. It's like you've never been married. Okay, you got me. Here's the second thing. And the second thing the Bible says, and this would save a lot of heartache, the Bible says that a believer is not to marry an unbeliever. You know how many people I've talked to, and I've counseled hundreds of couples uh, who were going to get married. I've married over a 1,000 couples. You know, and, and you say, well, man, you counsel. And yeah, you know why? Because I was free. But, but anyway, uh, they say, well, is your boyfriend saved? No, 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 but the Lord's told me he's going to get saved. Is your girl? No, she's not saved, but the Lord told me she's going to get saved. I said, no, wait a minute now. The Bible doesn't say if they're going to get saved, marry them. It says here, if don't get unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Now, if you marry a lost person, it says what fellowship has light with darkness and what fellowship has darkness with light, what, what fellowship has Christ with Belial. And then a believer is not to be married to an unbeliever, okay? So if you're dating an unbeliever, you do what God tells you to do. Don't, don't marry him. But I love him. That's okay, but I'll tell you what God said, all right? All right, Mar marital infidelity is grounds for divorce and remarriage. All right, a husband commits adultery with a woman. That is grounds for divorce from his wife. She can divorce him, and she's free to marry another. Same thing is true of the wife. If she commits adultery, the husband can divorce her. But listen to me. Somebody told me this. Marriage, marital infidelity is not only grounds for divorce, it's grounds for forgiveness. What a victory God gets when a husband's been unfaithful to the wife, repents and gets right with God and is forgiven, and then the wife, who's had a dagger stuck in her heart, finds the grace of God and forgives him, and instead of it ending up in divorce, God restores that marriage. Let me tell you, marriage infidelity is grounds for divorce, but it's for grounds for forgiveness too. And God gets the greater glory when there's forgiveness. And that's God's plan. But 
Sometimes people aren't able to do it, get there. I'm not their judge. When you come to this matter of divorce, uh, it talks about... Um, Here's another thing I've had to deal with in this. Okay, so here's a person that is a Christian, and the person they're married to says they're Christian. But one of them uh, commits sin, may be marital infidelity, may be physical abuse to the point of a person that's afraid of their life, may be verbal abuse. And, and so they, they just can't live together anymore. Well, Paul addressed that over there when he said, if, you, if one departs, let me just read what it says here. Um, over over in, uh, in Corinthians, he talks about the fact that uh, you, you can leave your wife or your husband, but don't, go get, don't run off and get married just as soon as you do. Don't do that. Give God time to work things out. And, and there are times when there's been no sexual immorality, when it may end up in a divorce, but the person has to wait on God to work things out before they're in a position to remarry. Okay, so you say, well, I was saved. I am saved. Now, I was the offender. I got away from God. I backslid. We ended up in divorce. It was my fault. Well, first of all, you do. You get right with God. Admit it and get right with God. If it's possible to be reconciled, then be reconciled. If it's not possible to be reconciled, then you just ask for God's forgiveness, throw yourself on the mercy of God, and ask God to direct your steps. And he will. You just don't rush. You don't run ahead of God. Now, I want to say this. If you've been divorced, there's no stigma on you. Forget that. The ground is leveled at the foot of the cross. And so if God repented and you're forgiven for that divorce, forget about it, move on, learn from it, and build a great marriage in the marriage that you're in. But you do need to go by God's word when it comes to this matter of divorce and grounds for divorce and grounds for remarriage. So the Bible does address the family. It addresses marriage. It addresses divorce. Let, let me say one other thing. I'm going to wind this up. Over in 19, he, he, he addresses people who don't ever get married. Did you know that? Look down in, um, uh, in verse, um, uh, verse 12 of Matthew 19. He says, some people don't get married. They have their celibate. It says, there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb. And there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. And it says, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs. They say, I'm not going to get married. I don't have the gift. That's not God's will for my life. And who made eunuchs from the kingdom, uh, for the kingdom of heaven's sake. And who is able to accept him, let them accept it. He said, okay. He said, there are some people that God gives them the gift of not getting married. And that's fine. It's no stigma to be single. And so Paul didn't address not only marriage and divorce, he addressed celibacy. I mean, Jesus did. He addressed celibacy right there. And so what I'm saying now is that um, what's important to God is the family. I want to give you a couple of verses, and then I'm going to pray. Colossians chapter 3, 
verses 18 through 24. And I want to tell you something. The devil is going to try to destroy your family. He'll try to destroy it. You can put that down. He'll do everything he can. He'll bring all the demons of hell to try to destroy your family because he hates the family. And over in uh, Colossians chapter 3, Paul just puts it in um, perspective about the family. This is the way it operates. Listen to me. Verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. Verse 17. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husband as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in in all things. This is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children. Do not provoke your children, lest they be discouraged. And so Paul just addresses husbands, wives, and children. It's called the family. He did it again in Ephesians chapter 6. And he says, uh, husband, love your wives, and wives, respect your husbands. All right. We're living in a situation where marriage is under attack. The family's under attack. And you've got to stay close to Jesus. You've got to stay close to Jesus. First of all, you've got to be saved. Christ has to live in your heart. Number two, you've got to be surrendered. Jesus has got to be Lord of your life. Number three, you, you can't be selfish. And you've got to ask God to build a great marriage that can stand the storms of life. And you ask God to build great children, strong in the Lord, who can stand the storms of life. But I want to tell you right now, the family is close to the heart of God. It is close to the heart of God. And if the church has any influence and the church has any power, it should be directed toward building godly families that are strong and can stand the storms of this ungodly, hedonistic society in which we live. God has a plan for the family. And we're supposed to allow God to have his way in our families. And the key to that is going to be the church being strong. I'm going to say this. You know, one of the tragedies is this. Fatherless homes. You'd be amazed how many homes in which there is no male figure. Their apartment complex is right here in Mobile, where out of 400 apartments, there was one male, and the rest of them were single mothers and children with no male influence in the home. The Bible says, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. I tell you, the Bible says God is for the, for the, for the or- widows and for the orphans. And you can be an orphan and have a, quote, male figure who may have been your birth father. But I want to tell you right now, pure religion and undefiled. We need to address, and nobody, nobody will address this. The government won't address it. The church hardly ever addresses it. The fact that until men are restored to the home and there is a male figure to provide leadership and godliness, the family is just going to continue to unravel and unravel and unravel. And we need to make that a matter of serious prayer that men would rise up and be in the home what God wants them to be.